0: Alright everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to take Job chapter 23, and we're going to see uh, Job's desire to appear before God. And so in these next two chapters, Job doesn't even attempt to answer arguments anymore. He simply cries out of a troubled heart, and he eloquently tells them and God how he feels. So short chapter, let's get into it. We'll take the first seven verses where we get Job's bitter complaint and his inability to connect with God. Then Job answered and said, even today my complaint is bitter. My hands is listless because of my groaning. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, God, that I might come to his, God's, seat, that I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments, and I would know the words which he would answer me. And understand what he would say to me would he contend with me in his great power no but he would take note of me there is an upright there the upright could reason with him and i would be delivered forever from my judge so even today my complaint is bitter in this passage at the close of eliphaz's speech job continued to feel desperate The wisdom and counsel of Eliphaz and the others was no relief to him, and just made uh, his mental and spiritual agony even worse. And he says, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. So Job felt separated from God. Surely this was not the first crisis in his life, though of course it was far beyond any previous suffering. He had found comfort and solace in God in prior times. But in this catastrophe, he felt that he could not find God. In a way that's almost infinitely less, yet nevertheless real, Job experienced what Jesus experienced on the cross. A man who had previously been in fellowship and favor of God now felt utterly forsaken. This was the greatest source of torment in Job's life. And this not only tells us of Job's sense of the loss of the presence of God, but of his longing to have it back. Good men are washed towards God even by the rough waves of their grief. And when their sorrows are deepest, their highest desire is not to escape from them, but to get at their God. So in Job's uttermost extremity, he cried out after the Lord. The longing desire of an afflicted child of God is once more to see his father's face. His first prayer is not, Oh, that I might be healed of the disease, which now festers in every part of my body, or even, Oh, that I might see my children restored from the jaws of the grave, and my property once more brought from the hand of the spoiler. But the first and uppermost cry is, Oh, that I knew where I might find him, God, who is my God, that I might even come to his seat. Right, So I would present my case before him. In this passage, Job did not only want the sense of the presence of God for the sake of spiritual comfort. He also wanted it so he might be vindicated in the court of God, especially in the face of the accusations of his friends. So impatient is Job for the process to begin that he dares to arraign the Lord in court. In effect, he wants to sue God for defamation of character. And here, God's courageous honesty is seen at its best. His consuming desire is to come to face to face with God, not by a contrived penance, as Eliphaz recommends, but in fair trial. And he said, I would know the words which he would answer me, and I would be delivered forever from my judge. So Job's conscience assured him that he would find mercy and favor at the throne of God, and his friends insisted that God was against Job in his sufferings. But Job stubbornly clung to his innocence. He has confidence in the Lord that if he could have an audience with him, God would not use his power against him, but on the contrary would strengthen him in order that he might state his case all right continuing on in verses eight and nine job's going to confess his lack of understanding and need of divine revelation so look i go forward but he is not there and backward but i cannot perceive him when he god works on the left hand i cannot behold him when he turns to the right hand i cannot see him So here, Job insisted that he had sought God in the midst of his crisis, and he looked in every direction that he could. And this is one of the marks of a true child of God, that even when God smites him, he still longs for his presence. An old Puritan writer quaintly observed in commenting on this that, Job, you have gone forward and backward, and you've looked left and to your right. Why don't you try looking up? So in these two verses, paint the vivid colors the distress and anxiety of a soul that is in search of the favor of god no means are left untried no place unexplored in order to find the object of his research this is a true description of the conduct of a genuine penitent Right? But he is not there, and I cannot perceive him. In this passage, no matter how sincerely and how diligently Job looked, he couldn't find God. God remained hidden through a barrier that was impossible to pierce. All right, verses 10 through 12, we're going to see Job's confidence in the midst of despair and Job's confidence in God and in his own integrity. All right, verse 10. But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps, and I have kept his way and not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. So here is another bright flash of faith upon a generally black background. Job admitted that he could not get through to God. Yet he clung to the confidence that God was still over this crisis. So with wonderful faith, Job seemed at this fleeting instant to understand what he could and should in his present crisis. He understood that God still observed Job carefully and had not forgotten him, right? He knows the way that I should take. God had purpose in the crisis, and the purpose was not to punish Job, right, when he has tested me. And God would one day bring the trial to an end, right? I shall come forth, and God would bring something good from it all, right? I shall come forth as gold, And God still valued Job, only precious metal is put through the fire, as gold is. So suddenly, in the midst of this bitter complaining, there flamed down a most remarkable evidence of the tenacity of his faith. He declared with conviction that God knew the way that he was taking. He even affirmed his conscience that it was God who was trying him, and that presently he would come forth from the process as gold does from refinement. And so it looks very hard to believe that a child of God should be tried by the loss of his father's presence, and yet should come forth uninjured by the trial, yet no gold is ever injured in the fire, and you can stoke the furnace as much as you may, let the blast be as strong as you will, and thrust the ingot into every center of the white heat, and let it lie in the very heart of the flame, pile on more fuel, and let another blast torment the, co- the coals till they become a most vehement with heat, yet the gold is losing nothing, and it may even be gaining in value. So he accepts the testing because he knows I shall come forth as gold. This image is drawn from metallurgy, does not necessarily imply purification. It could mean simply that the test proves that Job had been pure gold all along. And I shall ask four questions of every man within the reach of my voice god knoweth the way that you take and i will ask you first do you know your own way secondly is it a comfort to you that god knows your way and thirdly are you tried in the way and if so fourthly have you confidence in god as to the result of that trial can you say with job when he hath tried me i shall come forth as gold So, my foot has held fast to his steps. So, this was a dramatic defense of his integrity before his accusing friends. Job declared that he still followed God. I've kept his way and loved his word. I've treasured the words of his mouth. So, God spoke to Job. Did God ever speak to you? I do not suppose Job had a single page of inspired writing. Probably he had not. Not even the first books of Moses. He may have done so, but probably he had not so God spoke to him does he ever to you no man will ever serve God aright unless God has spoken to him and then you'll note that what God has spoken to him he treasured up he says in the hebrew that he had hid God's word more than he had ever had hidden his uh, necessary food that they had to hide grain away in those days to guard it from the wandering Arabs. And Job had been more careful to store up God's word than to store up his wheat and his barley, more anxious to preserve the memory of what God had spoken than to garner his harvest. Do you treasure up what God has spoken in the Bible? Right, so we see an expression of a great deal of confidence that God is a God of justice and that he knows that God will explain it to him someday. All right, verses thirteen through seventeen where Job wonders at God's power and sovereignty. But he is unique, and who can make him change, and whatever his soul desires that he does, for he performs what is appointed for me. And many such things are with him. Therefore I am terrified at his presence. When I consider this I am afraid of him, for God made my heart weak, and the Almighty terrifies me, because I was not cut off from the presence of darkness, and he did not hide the deep darkness from my face. So Job here argued back with himself against the previous great declaration of faith. He understood, though he did deeply and sincerely trust in God, at the same time he could not make God do anything. So verse 13 is a monotheistic affirmation. Job said, he, God, is a unique one. The Hebrew expression is rare in the Old Testament, but it is idiomatic nonetheless. The older King James Version translates who can make him change as who can turn him. Right? Right? but oh the text itself is music to my ears and it seems to sound like the martial trumpet of the battle and my soul is ready for the fray and it seems now that if trials and troubles should come if i could but hold my hand upon this precious text i would laugh at them all right who can turn him i would shout who can turn him no one so he performs what is appointed for me, and many, things, uh, many such things are with him. In this passage, Job had to admit that God would do as he pleased in Job's life, and would not be held hostage to Job's demands. He understood that the reasons and wisdom of God, uh, his work, are ultimately with him, God, and not known to Job or others, such as Job's friends. So Job here seemed to come closer and closer to the place God wanted him to be in his crisis. He comes closer and closer to realizing that God can be trusted, that God does in fact love and care for him, but at the same time, he is sovereign, and at least some of his ways are beyond our knowing. Right. So therefore, I was terrified of his presence, and God has made my heart weak. So knowing what he could not know about God made Job appreciate the distance between himself and God. It made him feel a good and righteous awe of God, though it felt like deep. Deep darkness because it was little comfort to him in his crisis. So, Job's strongest assertions of faith always seem to be coupled with equally strong assertions of fear and pain. In this chapter, his confidence in his own righteousness is more unassailable than ever. Yet at the same time, thick darkness covers his face and he is filled with dread. So, somehow, Job's faith is elastic enough to embrace simultaneously both terror and confidence. And that ties up chapter 23. In the next chapter, we'll see Job explaining the conduct of the wicked. Thank you for joining me.